0: Today, our uh, scripture reading is John 2, 1 to 17. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. The pastor is going to bring us our sermon now Finding God in
1: Church. It's kind of a strange title, Finding God in Church, as though that should surprise anybody. Finding God in church. Now I want you to imagine how startling it must have been for Jesus after his baptism to come to the temple and find the temple. When he wanted to have this close connection with God. He wanted to be close to God. To find the temple basically a merchandising place where they were selling uh, sacrifices. And they were bartering over the money, the exchange rate. Because people from all over the world were coming. And they were having their currency needing to be changed for the temple currency so they can buy a sacrifice. And pretty soon, that transition of money and the bartering associated with it just completely swamped out everything and overruled everything that had to do with anything spiritual. It was a noisy stock market. The sacredness of the place of worship solely rests upon one fact and one fact alone, that God is present and he is felt in the lives of the people that are there. That has to happen. And that was not happening in the temple of Jerusalem right after Jesus' baptism. Little happens in our lives significantly of any sort unless God is present. That must sink in. Little significance will happen in our life unless God is there making that the case. Now you remember that Moses who has started out with a kind of a stellar um, projection, you know, being rescued from the Nile and raised in the, 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 uh, the palace of, of Egypt and now was taking on his route to become probably pharaoh and then being driven out for 40 years, he thought maybe his life had come to an end. But one day as a shepherd uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai, If you've ever been in that place, it is desolate. Very desolate. I don't know how sheep feed. (laughs) You know, but he was watching the sheep. And you remember the story. He was attracted to a bush that was on fire and didn't seem to be burned up, burning up. And so he came closer and he heard those words. What did the words say? Take off your shoes. This is? God was there. And that was not an ordinary place because God was there. Because God was there, it was a place of worship. Because God was there, Moses' life would never be the same again. It would be changed. When God is present, change happens in people's lives. And a church must be a place where God's presence is there. God sent Abraham, who was used to being in the presence of God, Because Abraham every morning went up to the near hillside and with his son had built an altar there and they met with the Lord daily every morning. He was used to being in the presence of God. And one day God said, I want you to take your son, your only begotten son, and I want you to take him and sacrifice him. What a hard thing for a father to hear. How overwhelmingly difficult. I shudder to think about it. I could cry very easy thinking about that. And yet, there goes Abraham, because he was a changed man, because he knew God, and he knew that with God, all things are And where you, th- you see that your life may be hemmed in and closed in when you have God, it's never hemmed in, it's never closed in. All possibilities come into bear. And so this trek began on the way to a mountain far away near in jerusalem basically at that time there was no really jerusalem but on mount moriah and his son went with him and you remember on top of that mountain they had built the altar and he he had told his son what god's command was and the son did not resist which is so amazing to me and here you find this this heartbroken dad and his compliant son playing out a drama That never stops to talk to people's hearts ever since. We do not know the effect of tragedy. And what God can do out of tragedy. He can heal and make things right. And as the knife is about to descend upon his son. All of a sudden the angel appears and says no. Stop. (laughs) Here's the sacrifice. And for the first time Abraham understands. What God is doing in sacrifices He is going to offer his own son. And now Abraham understood really what that meant. They were no longer animals to be slaughtered. They were the son of God. And they reminded him of that. And how special that was. And so Mount Moriah has since, when God met Abraham and Isaac on top of Mount Moriah, it has since become a holy place. Because God had been there and he had transformed lives there. Jacob, as was mentioned in our uh, Sabbath school class, was on his way, fleeing because of the wrath of his brother. You know, he had deceived his brother and stolen just about everything from his brother. And he was on his way to the east, as far away from home as he possibly could, hopefully as far away from his brother as he could possibly go. East is the direction of the desert, (laughs) you know. And he's going to the uh, family of his mom, where his mother came from. And on his way, he's tired, and he lays down out in the open, and he puts his head on a rock, and what happens? God comes there. And in a most amazing dream, I mean, he actually saw in a dream, which to him was real, and it probably was real. Angels descending and ascending on a ladder. You never forget that. You know, and also at the top of that ladder, he hears Jesus and sees Jesus, and Jesus is reaffirming to this boy who had just broken every kind of decency law you could imagine, lied to his father. I tell you, those patriarchs had problems. And why God hung on to him is something that should give us a tremendous amount of hope. They were not perfect people. Adventists are not perfect people. Baptists are not perfect people. Catholics are not perfect people. But don't think that God casts them aside because the stories in the Bible tell us very clearly that he doesn't cast people aside. He's tolerant and patient with them. And he's reaffirming to Jacob in the midst of all of his sins the promises I've made to Abraham, to his son Isaac, I'm making to you too. While he is filled with guilt and shame, he is making those promises again. And that wonderful display of the angels up and down on that ladder. And hearing that from God. How amazing that is. That became Bethel. And what does Bethel mean? Beth is house. El is God. The house of God. And it would ever for that place... When they ever go by Bethel, they remember that God was there. And lives are changed by just the remembrance that God had met man there. Powerful. Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. Moses was commanded by God to build a sanctuary, a tabernacle. A home for God in the wilderness. And later Solomon was commanded. Well David commanded. And Solomon finished the work. Building the tabernacle. The temple. The temple. In Jerusalem. And when the tabernacle in the wilderness was erected. And when the temple was erected. Who came down and inhabited those buildings? Was it a secret? Can everybody see it? At night time they saw a pillar of. That means God's in residence. He's here. And in the daytime, a pillar of God was there. And because of that, those buildings were holy places. Because God's people need, they need so desperately to have God present in their lives. How can we possibly become Christians like Christ? How can we possibly become godly like God? unless God is present. So beautiful. The Bible tells us of actually a litany of special places that litter the landscape of the Holy Land, and I've been there a couple of times, and every time I go to those places, my heart is moved, because God was there. He met with His people, and He changed their lives there And he wrote those stories down so we wouldn't forget it because he wants us to know that God is not a distant God. God is not far away. We cannot become Christians. We cannot do what he wants us to do unless he is present, in-house, changing things, making things possible. A father hearing from Jesus that his son is healed. Go home. Your son's well. That father would never forget when that happened, where that happened. And it would forever be a holy place. The woman at Samaria. That well would be forever remembered. Associated with that story. That God came down to meet a woman who desperately needed to meet with God. And nobody else. And he met with her. He changed her life. And changed the life of that community. And that well became a site. That would be till this day. And if you were to find that well, you would be moved. Because God had come down. Mount Peniel. I hope I say that right. Do you remember that was the mount that Jacob, you know, (laughs) going to meet his brother, facing the consequences of his life. You know, and it's amazing to me. Facing the consequences of his life. Terribly afraid of meeting his brother, who had armed men waiting to welcome Jacob. What does Jacob do? He sends his wives and children ahead. So had he been fixed yet? (laughs) No, he was still a lot of problems with that boy. And he goes to a mountaintop nearby, just an ordinary mountaintop, and he spends the night, and a stranger accosts him on that mountain, confronts him and he thinks it's an enemy and they battle all night long and in the morning as the morning draws near the stranger who he thought for sure was an enemy so typical of all of Jacob's life he's fighting against the things he should be embracing the stranger reaches over and touches Jacob's thigh paralyzing him for the rest of his life on that side and he suddenly knew this is no stranger this is God And from that moment on, he clung to him. He would never forget that spot. Coming and going and telling the story. And his children and grandchildren would always remember that story. A story where lives were transformed because you supply the next words. God was there. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit. When the disciples, torn away from Jesus who had gone to heaven... Very much alone. Gathered in the upper room to pray. And something came to visit. What was it? What Jesus promised. Another member of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit came down. And I was in that room. And you can't help but be touched by the power. That room is, is transforming when you're there. And you realize what happened. And you can visualize the disciples and the people. It's amazing. And it became a very special place. I've been to the garden tomb. You've seen pictures of that. We don't know if that's the exact tomb. No idea. But it's in the vicinity, and it's very much like the tomb that it would have been for Jesus. And when you're there, you're touched by that. You're moved by that. We need to have God active and involved and present in our lives in order to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. In order to be happy with ourselves, even. We need that. But when Jesus went to the temple after his baptism, that was not there. It was all something very foreign, very desolate, and very empty. You remember Jesus spoke with Nicodemus who met him by night and Jesus said these very simple words which stick to our minds because they are so special without me you can do nothing He says we must abide in Christ That's the only thing that changes us is if God is present Not only in our lives, but in our institutions, in our homes. God must be present there. Spirituality simply is impossible without the Spirit being there. The Spirit is there, spirituality is there. Our children can never become spiritual beings if they do not have the benefit of being raised with the Holy Spirit in their home. And the Spirit touching their lives. And the Spirit reminding them that this place is holy and that they are holy. How special that is. I want you to turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I hope you love this chapter as much as I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're looking at verse 9 and onward. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Now, this was a church, the Corinthian church, that Paul had a lot of problems with. (laughs) You know, they were perennially problem people in in Corinth. And so he had to write several, several, well, at least a couple of epistles to it. Write a lot of things to them, anyway. And he says here in verse 9, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which, what? Which God hath prepared for them that love him. God has revealed them to us how? As you read on it says by his spirit for the spirit searches all things yea the deep things of God for what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God and Jesus requests with the father and his commission as Lord of Lord and King of Kings send the Holy Spirit and make Let us know, prepare us to be members of the family of God. Offspring of God. Hmm. Now we have received, Paul says, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. So God is saying, and you can continue on there, it's a beautiful passage, that God has promised spirituality. And spiritual things are what? Spiritually discerned. I think that is so amazing. Even the deep things of God are made known to us. We have a right and a desperate need to come to church every Sabbath and expect the Holy Spirit to be here. Expect it to be here. And that spirit to radically alter our lives during those few hours that we spend together. Don't we have that right? And don't we have that need? Amen. That expectation will drive us to pray during the week for the Sabbath to come. And that spirit to be here and to change our lives. And children will catch on to that. They will understand that. Just like Daniel must have. And it changed that boy's life. And because of that, Daniel changed the world because of that. And you remember, out of horrible hardship, losing his family. They were probably killed and taken away as an exile. All those years in exile. But did the Lord leave him alone? He went with him. And Esther, taken away to live in a foreign palace you know, and uh, married to a foreign king. Wow, she changed the world too, because she knew that God could be, and indeed was, in her life. Syrian maid stood up and testified to God in the pagan family, where she was forced, I'm sure, forced to serve. But nevertheless, they saw God in this girl, and so they listened. Captain of the king of Syria's Forces, listen to this little maid, captive maid. Samuel, the very same way, turned the entire nation because he knew. And I think that's one of the gifts that Hannah gave him. She taught him that's indeed possible and indeed necessary for us to have the Spirit in our lives. Completely changes us. David, you know, same thing. A young boy changes the course of Israel's history and a boy with a simple lunchbox of bread and fish. (laughs) Great things could be expected. As was with a young girl, 16 years of age. uh, Two centuries ago, almost two centuries, at least in the 18th century, meeting in an upstairs room in a prayer meeting with a number of ladies. And all of a sudden, God's presence was in that room. And she was taken off in division. You know what? She didn't want to do this. She resisted it. She was afraid of it. It was just way too heavy a responsibility. But God was there. And God would not be turned away. And eventually she yielded. And what an effect that woman had upon making this church what it is. Amazing. Amazing. Because God was there. Folks, this should be the norm. This should be our expectation. Because God over and over has made it clear that that's what he wants. Our lives, when God is present, switch from being about ourselves, about what we know, about our goals, and our rules, and all those things. And they become more consumed about God. My wife and I are going through some tough times the last several years. And tough times have taught us to stop thinking about ourselves and start seeking the Lord and learning what He is trying to tell us. And when we get that, our lives become different. And it's because God present changes who we are. We can see and sense and know what we could not see before simply because sacredness has come into our lives and this is what it must be for all of us I'm a little fearful because I this and I say this with knowing I could be misunderstood but I'm a little fearful today that in our church spirituality is becoming an enemy it's becoming an enemy people are becoming fearful of it at camp meeting, there was a book that was advertised and widely purchased. My wife purchased it and, purchased it and read it. And, and I understand why the book was written. It was written for good reason. The book was written. It was called The Omega. And it was written because the gentleman who wrote it had been in spiritualism, spiritualism. And his life had been destroyed and devastated because of that. And so he wanted to write a book against that. But you could very easily read a book like that and become afraid of anything to do with spiritual. You can And the fear could keep it out. I know this firsthand. I was bringing one of the churches I pastored not that long ago to become more aware of our need for Christ in our life to become more spiritual people and training people to do that more actively in their lives and word came down from some source in north, north and the pastor that I was working with was a very controlling person now let me tell you something very controlling people have an extremely difficult time with spirituality because God will have none of that if there's one person in control it's God not us. So he was afraid of where this was going. We were doing a program that had been approved by the conference, approved by the, 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 uh, the division, or the union, excuse me. And, and God was blessing it. But the fear of anything spiritual was so strong that he shut it down. And this is happening in our denomination. This isn't two isolated cases. I'm fearful of this. There is a war right now going on in the church, about this. And we must not throw out spirituality for fear of spiritualism. Yes, when spirit comes in, there's somebody in control other than us. And we should thank the Lord for that. And we should embrace that. Matthew made this prediction and this advice. He says, "...when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation..." In other words, the real tough times coming, when you see that, spoken by Daniel the prophet, Where did he tell us to go? Stand in the holy place. Go to the sanctuary. Why? Because God's there. Go there. God's there. Get close to God. So... Jesus seeing all that he saw that day after his baptism in the temple. And driving all those people out, they ran for their lives. When they came back, they saw something very unusual. Imagine this being unusual. But very unusual in the temple. There was singing. People were gathered. Children were on Jesus' lap. And he was talking to them. And the lame and the outcasts that couldn't find a place in the temple for themselves were coming close to Jesus. And there was such a different atmosphere than there was before. But at that time Both of those cleansing of the temple before the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, hardened the hearts of the Jewish leaders against him and sealed his doom. Well, it wasn't his doom. He had already chosen that path. Jesus said, take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Well, what I wanted to say today and what I hope I can say is... That I want God's presence here on Sabbath morning. I want it in the Sabbath school classes. I want the children, when they come in, to not be excited and thrilled by the program, but by maybe God's Spirit working in the program, touching lives. And when we have a preaching service, I don't want it to be about any cleverness or wisdom of mine or whoever is preaching. We need to feel and expect, no matter what's happening up here, that God's presence is going to be felt in our lives and transform us. That's absolutely essential. And we must, like Jesus, take the other things, take them away. Make sure they get away. We need to be more praying as a part of what we're doing, and a more listening to God rather than just man's words. Even though good words they are. We've got to do that. David... Had Learned the value of this, and he says, Oh, how lovely are thy tabernacles, O Lord of Horst. My soul longeth, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. Why? Because God was there. My heart and my flesh crieth out, and the word cry is cry for joy, for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house and the swallow nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord even thine altars where the sacrifices were made which could be viewed as kind of gory he says even thine altars are to be this place of wonderful joy blessed are they that dwell in thy house for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness that's in Psalm 84 and you'd probably love this one too. Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee. That is because David found God. God was alive and powerful and in his life. And that had made him feel the way he is. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God, when shall I appear before God? Well, when Moses came down from the mountain in the very presence of God, the people say, keep us away from God. Keep God out. God's too scary. It can be with you up there on the mountain. We don't want to go up there. We don't want to be with God. Soon after, Moses launches into the task of building the tabernacle. And the thought of God abiding with the people and seeing the change in Moses. you remember when he came down from the mountain? His whole face just glowed. I believe that God is commanding us to evangelize our neighborhood and serve our neighbors for Christ. I think the neighbors will see glowing faces. In fact, they need to see that. That's only going to happen if God doesn't. I want us to hunger and thirst for God. I want the sanctuary Sabbath school classes, I want our homes, I want our schools to be places where you'd expect to be transformed by the experience of God. I want us when we get down on our knees and we pray that we feel God in our hearts in a powerful way. Now all the other things got to get out of the way. The abomination of desolation is coming and we must go to the house of God and taste and see that the Lord is good. When Moses finally commanded the people to build the temple, the tabernacle, I want to tell you what happened. This is an amazing thing. The whole work of building the tabernacle in the wilderness, how long do you think it took them? Do you have any idea? Those that have actually calculated this out based upon what the account says in the the writings of Moses. And I'm talking about an immense amount of gold being donated, amazing amounts of silver, and all kinds of wealth, plus all of the labor. And you remember, that was really a special place. They built it in six months. It has never been the problem to do the things that churches normally get themselves involved in. Building buildings, you know, structures and schools and churches and th- that's never been the problem. When God is in house and when He's present, things happen in lightning speed, in God's speed. That's what we need.